Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. Welcome to episode 195 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the first, and very late, again, episode of February 2017. And joining me here in the studio is my good friend Derek Cook from Monster Kid Radio. How you doing, man? I'm doing, actually, you know, I'm not doing so well. Uh I'm uh, coming off of a pretty terrible sickness and I think you could probably tell from my voice that things are a little a little stuffy up in my head. But uh, aside from that, I am doing great. <laughs> it's that Ultraman dub that did you in, right? It really is. <laughs> oh, my God. That's right. Derek was there at the Hollywood Theater when we watched the two dubbed Ultraman movies. Uh, yeah, what were your thoughts after that? Yeah, that was the last time we saw out? each other. And boy, um, I love my Ultraman. I oh, yeah, really yeah, do. Yeah. And, and to see it on the big screen was cool. And I talked briefly about this on Monster Kid Radio. The the slavish uh, attention to making sure all the sounds matched the actors' mouths really led itself to a stilted delivery sometimes. (laughs) And and it just... Plus, it had that kind of thing that I don't like about a lot of manga and anime and things like that sort of thing where everybody sounds much younger than I feel like they need to be. Sure, yeah, yeah. And... There are like two modes, regular speaking, and then that speaking really loud. You know, and it just that's not what I want for my Ultraman. I completely agree. I, I'm, you know, the <laughs> I'm echoing your sentiments, which were echoed by pretty much every, everybody yeah. we were there with. It just makes it laughable. Yeah. Um, and and it, that's not terrible for an Ultraman, you know, Ultraman anything for it to be laughable, as long as that's sort of like the general intent or mm-hmm. sometimes. A little bit, you could adjust that a little bit, maybe a little less intent. <laughs> it's still okay, but uh, you know, it's that movie, that Ginga movie was really rough to get through. Why was that one last? I mean, I feel like they should have swapped it, you know, and with the Ultraman uh, X. X, yeah, yeah. X. <laughs> anyway, well, Derek is here specifically because we wanted to talk about American monster movies. So what we're doing is uh, we're talking about a group, a large group of American monster movies, sort of predecessors, definitely some predecessors to Mm -hmm. the giant monster movies that I love from Japan. When I first started getting into this stuff, I really started getting into just the Godzilla stuff. Like I did not dive into the old atomic monster movies from the 50s. Nobody said, oh, you should watch these first or you should watch these in tandem. I just kind of knew they existed and that was about it. How did you get involved or not get involved? How did you get <laughs> interested in some of the Atomic Monster movies? Uh, I'm assuming they, they go back kind of far in your life. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all kind of tied into my history of the Monster Kid radio and being a monster kid, a modern day monster kid, uh, especially the movies from the 50s. I, I really love the actor John Agar and he's in one of the movies that we'll talk about and. 
I mean, he's just amazing in pretty much anything he does. And, and he was a stalwart of a lot of 1950s sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So that might have been my first in into some of these movies. But then, of course, as things have expanded for me and I've really tried to watch and expose myself to as many of these monster movies as possible for my own podcast and my own enjoyment. Sure, yeah. You know, I keep stumbling across, oh, there's one. Oh, and that's one. And they all came out around the same time. And that's an interesting thing to look at. And what else? That, you know, it's just an interesting way to kind of put them all together. And I just, I love these movies. I mean, that's a very vague answer for you, but <laughs> how'd you get involved? I love them. Okay. But you, uh, in terms of these specific yes. types of movies, mm-hmm. we were just talking a little while ago about how there's, uh, there's a, generic theme that runs through many of them where it's the you know it's an atomic bomb you know kind of reaction some Mm -hmm. sort of reaction by the public to you know some kind of fear from the public to something they're reacting to like nuclear war the threat of nuclear war it's one of the things that i love about what looking at older movies overall whether it's uh, an old kaiju film or even just an older american film that's not genre is it's, it's a time machine. You, know, you can kind of go back in time and see what's important to the people of the day, what, what society was doing here, what the mores were over there. It's just, it's like a, a documentary almost in a way, if you aren't getting distracted by the giant monsters or whatever. And, <laughs> and, 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 and know, who could blame anyone yeah, for that? I mean, really. So you get to see kind of where things were in America and how Hollywood was dealing with things and how the moviegoers were dealing with things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, through that American lens and the, the atomic age, I mean, it's just got so many monster movies in it that I talk about on Monster Kid Radio all the time. Uh, it feels like there were more monster movies in the 50s than pretty much any other era that I cover on my show. Uh, I kind of cut off around late 60s or so. Sure, yeah. There were just so many of these movies being made. Part of it was because kids were getting out and seeing the movies, and they needed to have fodder for the drive-ins. But again, a lot of it had to do with the atomic fear and, and atomic energy. And I mean, it just really kind of lent itself to creating these monsters for us. Yeah, and I've often said, you know, I mean, we we have said tonight in this room mm-hmm. without King Kong, who we are going to talk about soon, right. we wouldn't have Godzilla. But I also definitely think that without stuff like the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, mm-hmm. these atomic monsters from America, without those monsters, we really wouldn't have Godzilla in the shape that we have him today. And then, what would you be podcasting about? I have no idea. Probably <laughs> knitting. <laughs> Okay. I don't know. There's nothing wrong with knitting. <laughs> I'm just saying that that's the only thing I, I could even see myself doing okay. after after Godzilla. Just okay. kidding. Wow. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, so but, but let's talk actually about the first, the very first, like the, the grandest father of all monster movies. Let's talk about King Kong. 1933, King Kong kicked it all off. I mean, it's an amazing movie. For its time, it, technically, it just... Blew everything away. I mean, the stop motion that you saw, it wasn't the first stop motion movie, but to have that kind of an impact, it's just phenomenal. And, and the performances and the direction, the story and just good stuff. And it's a it. lot of stop motion. I mean, King really Kong is. has a lot of stop mm-hmm. motion in it. I was uh, actually just watched it very recently mm-hmm. because not only do you have all the Kong stuff, you have all the other, you know, monsters yes. there. You have the pterosaur, you have the tyrannosaur, you have, uh, well, you, we don't have a spider scene. Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> so for the listeners that don't know, there was a, a, a whole spider pit scene. If you saw the 2005 Peter Jackson King Kong film, mm-hmm. he basically recreated that in modern day special effects. Yeah, the, the spider pit sequence, some people had claimed to have seen it. Right. Supposedly it went out on some reels that when the, first, the movie first came out. 
Uh, a lot of people over the years have kind of speculated that was an urban legend. Maybe it wasn't even shot. Uh, it might've been in the script. Maybe it wasn't in the script. Some of the props and the models from that may actually be seen in the background on a shelf in the movie, the black scorpion, which we can talk about in a little bit if you want. Um, but yeah, it's, who knows? I, yeah. I would love to know for sure. And if it is out there, I'd love to see it. There's at least some kind of storyboard art. I know that. Exactly. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you see that turn up every couple of years with a story about, well, my brother told me he saw it at this museum screening. Well, okay. Yeah. Friend of a friend of a friend. Sure you did. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. Well, I mean, so that movie, I'm assuming that it did really well here in the States when sure. it came out because it was definitely popular enough to get sent across the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, A.G. Subaraya saw King Kong, which got him interested in special effects, really. I mean, that's essentially what happened. And then it wasn't until he saw it a second time during its second run that he was able to really, really appreciate what, what they were doing there, I think. But um, so King Kong was 1933. I'm assuming it was a big hit here, like here in the States. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, it spawned a sequel. Exactly. Yeah. It also spawned a sequel, Son of Kong. Mm-hmm. Which my understanding is went into production immediately, if not before the last one was done, because it was released right afterwards. There was not a lot of gap there. Was Willis O'Brien also on Son of Kong? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he was also there. Uh, it's a different style of monster. You know, it's, it's a cuter Kong because it's, well, the sun. They and, keep him in a cage, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you've got a couple of the returning actors from the previous film. Uh, one of the leads comes back and then one of the minor characters comes back as well. Maybe a third. I'd have to go back and rewatch it. Darn. But, um, <laughs> I mean, you have some of these other characters come back and, you know, what happened to these guys after the events of Kong? Well, they go try to find another monkey. Let's <laughs> try and They try and have lightning hit again. Yeah. Strike twice. That's how they say that, Kyle. But yeah, so, uh, I, that's another movie I haven't seen. How many, how many King Kong movies were there in the original? run the original <laughs> series of king kong movies just the two okay now mighty joe young did also come out and did also feature one of the actors from uh the first two films but right. it is it's not connected okay uh, thematically it might be but it's not exactly part of the same series and uh, i mean it's probably the best of the three technically yeah but in terms of impact kong is really the number one all right you know giant monster so stringing these together would be willis o'brien who yeah. was this essentially the special effects director, but the stop motion animation animator mm -hmm. of Kong son of Kong, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. And then also the next one on the list, I'm assuming we're going to talk about is going to be the black scorpion. Oh, I love the black scorpion. Love it so much. It's from 1957. Uh, it's kind of a giant bug movie. Uh, well, if you consider a scorpion, a bug, I mean, it's an arachnid, but whatever uh, it's shot down in Mexico. It takes place down in Mexico. It stars Richard Denning, who is one of the, men in Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I love Richard Denning. I mean, he's a great actor. Uh, and it's giant scorpions running around doing stuff in Mexico. And they're, they're pretty vicious. Um, they they kind of turn on each other a little bit. So you see some scorpions kind of becoming the alpha scorpion. It's I highly recommend it. Unfortunately, I believe the DVD is out of print. Okay. And I don't think the studio is really interested in putting it out on blue or making it available again. So that's Good luck bad. finding it, but I'm sure you can if you look hard enough. The Black Scorpion. The Black Scorpion. Not the movie from the 90s that was like a sexy action comedy, <laughs> which which comes up when you look it up on Wikipedia. So not, not that one. Right. The, we're talking the 1957 one. Yes. So, so uh, now the Black Scorpion giant bug movie. Mm -hmm. 
So mm-hmm. let's get into some giant bugs, my friend. Oh, yes. So because this is what I considered to be a giant monster movie before I knew about kaiju films. Okay. You know, so and, and in fact, Rodan was which everybody knows was my first giant monster movie. Rodan fit into that genre so well because it starts off with a giant bug. Yeah. No, you're, that's a good point. I hadn't when we were talking, I was like, I'm sitting in a room filled with these things. I'm sure there's plenty of Rodan. I should have thought of that. Well, you know, the thing is that I will say, in all honesty, I've seen the first half of Rodan mm-hmm. so many more times than the entirety of the film, just because, you know, when I was a kid and I, we eventually got it on VHS, I'd be watching it and then they'd be like, okay, you got to come do something. I didn't have an hour and a half <laughs> of free time every time I wanted to watch Rodan. So I saw those mega neuron bugs. Way more often than I saw the Rodans themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, they're creepy though. I mean, they're they're probably creepier than the Rodan itself. I mean, the monster yeah, itself. I yeah. I love Rodan. It's probably my favorite. If I had to make a list of my favorite non-Godzilla kaiju, that that's right there at the top of the list. Rodan, when treated right, is just amazing. As he deserves to be there. Mm-hmm. He deserves your respect and your reverence. <laughs> Giant monster god rode in. <laughs> so what other what other uh, so aside from giant black scorpions, what else do we have from in the fifties? We are seated in this conversation now. We've moved from the thirties mm-hmm. and we are jumping track to the nineteen fifties, where you have them mm-hmm. in nineteen fifty four, uh, tarantula from fifty five, the black scorpion. What we just talked about that's fifty seven. Earth versus the spider. That's one you wanted to bring up. Sure. Uh, Deadly Mantis, and then I even lumped in, it came from beneath the sea, but we don't need to talk about that one because it's an octopus, six-armed octopus, <laughs> not a six-armed insect. So out of those movies, which is, what's one of the ones you like the best? Like uh, It's got to be Tarantula. Um, you know, I mentioned that earlier. John Agar, are, are you familiar? Well, let's see, you're more of the Japanese style of yeah. monsters. Are you familiar with John Agar at all? No, I don't. Uh, is this an actor or a director? He's an actor. Okay. Uh, he was married to Shirley Temple for a little while. Okay. He got his start doing westerns with John Wayne and then got into the studio system with Universal in okay. the 50s. Didn't really like what was happening. Didn't want to do a lot of the monster movies Universal was doing. Asked to get out of his contract. They released him. And the next movie he did was Revenge of the Creature. <laughs> so okay. he did a monster movie right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and pretty much locked him into you know, the B-movie status that he's at. He actually has a, a small bit in King Kong 76. Um, it's just, he's a great, great actor. And, nice. and, just, and he embraced that role. Oh, yeah. That, you know, the generic role. Yeah. And unfortunately, he's no longer with us. I never had a chance to meet him. Mm-hmm. He passed before I really started embracing my own monster kingdom. But from what I understand, he he was just a great guy. And, awesome. And had no problem with people swarming him, not for the John Wayne stuff, not for anything else, but you were in my monster movies, you know, and, nice. and he embraced that over the years. That's awesome. But, you know, Tarantula, it's got him. It's got a very early, early appearance from Clint Eastwood, not the first, hmm. but he's in it just for a moment as he's dropping napalm on the Tarantula spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoilers for 50 plus years yeah, old movies. I think, I think it's all good. good yeah. Uh, it's got good music. It's Universal. Okay. And Universal was, I mean, the home of the classic monster movies from the 30s, well, probably even from the 20s on. With okay. Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, and all that. So they did Creature from the Black Lagoon in the 50s, but after that, they kind of stopped doing the smaller scale monster movies, and they would go to the science fiction horror with the Deadly Mantis, Tarantula. Interesting. Um, okay. I was like kind of wondering about that, like, in terms of who is making these movies, you know? Right. Like, because I, I consider um, 
Oh my gosh, I can't remember the guy's name, but I'm sure you're gonna know it. The dude who did the Tingler and yeah, William uh, Castle. William Castle. Thank you. Uh, I'm fascinated with William Castle. Yeah, as a promoter, because I don't know how much influence he had over the movies themselves being made too. He directed a lot of them. So, yeah, I mean, he was so, the director of things like that and would work the gimmicks in so that he knew how to. I mean, he was a he was a showman. Yeah, so he like he's a solid director, but he was a showman as well. So. Yeah, I I mean that's the kind of, that vibe mm-hmm. of that sort of time period, which I'm assuming is right around where we're talking about the like mid fifties, right? Mm-hmm. Like, was that his jam or was he earlier? Uh, mid. Well, he'd been directing since at least the thirties. Well, at least the forties. Um, but he didn't really get into doing a lot of like the, I don't want to say the word schlocky, but that kind of. Well, that style of movie, sure, you know, yeah, where, where yeah, we'd yeah. appear at the beginning of the movie. Hi, I'm William Castle. I'm not about it, you know. I want somebody to make a Godzilla movie like that. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> wow. Or like a Twilight Zone intro. Oh, anyway. <laughs> no, he, he was 50s and then into 60s. Um, he was also, at one point, without him, there probably wouldn't be the movie Rosemary's Baby, but that's completely out of what we talked sure, about. Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, so... What about uh, some of these other guys in here? So them, let's, that's like the giant ant movie. That's a classic. Even though I've never seen the whole thing, I've seen, like you said, mm-hmm. clips of some of these things enough so that I kind of feel like I could piece together what's going on. Sure. But that whole, like, th- these are the movies where we're talking about that atomic vibe, yeah. you know, where all of the introductions sound like this and they're talking about the terrors of nuclear weapons or military action, the bomb drops in 30 seconds, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I love it. I, I I just haven't seen enough of it. Them is not part of the Universal uh, oh, okay, mix. Right. It's a completely different studio. Um, uh, drawing a blank on it, listeners are like, Derek, no, I'm but, sure they don't know. But, you don't know, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Write to Kyle and let them know. Talk to you. Yeah. Uh, but no, Them was not part of that mix, but it's certainly influential, probably even more influential than some of these other ones because it had a, a more serious approach to it. Uh-huh. I mean, Tarantula is fun. I love Tarantula, but it's a low budget universal B movie aimed for the, the younger audience market. Whereas mm-hmm. them, I feel like had a more mature kind of approach, uh, to what's going on with, with how the people are reacting and the people are dying because of the ants. Mm-hmm. And they really worked on the sound design in that, uh, where the ants just sound scary, mm. which, you don't really get that kind of amazing sound design with some of the later Universal movies, which I love. I mean, I love Universal through and through, but they were lower budget affairs and, and they knew it. Okay. Okay. So, uh, other giant buggy movies that you're, you know, and like, feel free to tell us why you like some of these sure. specifically. Like, uh, our, we talked about, uh, Deadly Mantis mm-hmm. and Earth versus the Spider. So, the Deadly Mantis, uh, again, is part of the Universal mix, and I wish I could remember which episode it was, but years ago I had Andy Campbell, friend of your show and mine, mm-hmm. on Monster Kid Radio to talk about those movies, or that movie. He he loves it. So, Andy, if you're listening, I remember you being on my show and talking about it. <laughs> Andy Campbell. The name sounds familiar, <laughs> but, man, when was the last time a Kaiju 101 came out? Anyway. Wow. You went there. I, I wasn't going to go there, but, you know. He's got a baby. Yeah, I know. He's he's busy, you know, making the next generation of kaiju kids for us. I th- I have no doubt that is what is happening. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Anyway. It's part of his science experiment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the Deadly Mantis is a lot of fun. It's a good movie. Uh, but Earth versus the Spider, you mentioned William Castle. Another person that I would kind of put into that style of filmmaking is Bert I. Gordon. Okay. And he, his initials are B.I.G. So he's sometimes known as Mr. Big, but not just because of B.I.G., but because he would make things big on screen. Nice. Um, you know, the Amazing Colossal Man, those types of movies. And Earth versus a Spider, sometimes just called the Spider. It's giant spiders uh, that they find in a cave and kind of brutal, actually. The first death on screen for a movie in the 50s is, is pretty intense. And it kind of took me by surprise when I first saw it. And then you've got this kid running around trying to find his dead dad, really. Yeah. He doesn't know he's dead. They do find the spider and they think it's dead. Okay. They put spoilers. They <laughs> store it in the high school gym because it's going to be examined later, or whatever. Where are you going to put a giant spider when it's dead? You, know, you can't just bury that thing. It's huge. So they put it in the gym. Well, there's a high school dance happening at the gym here soon. And kids get in there and they start playing some rock and roll. And while they're dancing, the legs of the spider start switching. <laughs> so the power of 50s rock and roll brings the giant spider back from death and chaos ensues. And Dude, it's, that's awesome. it's a great film. Uh, Bird Eye Gordon, who's still alive now. Um, recently did a movie not too long ago called, I think, Psychopath. Um, but yeah, he's still active. He does cons. Super nice guy and just made a bunch of these movies that ended up on our list, actually, because of Colossal Man and things like that. Fantastic. That's awesome. Oh, Colossal Man. Yeah. We'll talk about Colossal Man, too. <laughs> what else should we know before we move along from the 50s here? I mean... We've got uh, we've got the giant claw, which I actually started watching earlier today, which is very I don't want to say similar to Rodan. <laughs> There's a double feature for you. <laughs> oh, <man>. Wow. <laughs> but well, I mean, like, let's actually look at it like this. So like Rodan is from Japan, obviously, and was shot in color. It's a, the year earlier, 1956. But here in the States, they're still making black and white monster movies i'm assuming because it's cheaper sure and uh probably studios still have like a giant stockpile of film <laughs> i'm guessing but yeah 1957 is when is when the giant claw came out which is i don't know man i have <laughs> I, that's a puppet technically yeah it's what i've heard about the giant claw is that the actors and the actresses had no idea what it was going to look like. Mm -hmm. So they're playing it as straight and as serious as possible. And then this thing appears on screen when they go to the premiere and they're yeah. watching it. And, and some of them are kind of slinking out of the back of the theater because they don't oh, want to, no. you know, <laughs> that's what I've heard. I, I don't know if that's yeah. true or not, but it looks like this, <laughs> this is a turkey looking thing. And it's kind yeah, of a weird yeah. kind of. It's got like a weird, it, I mean, it's, that's when I say <laughs> puppet, not only is it a puppet for the special effects, I think, but. It looks like a puppet. Yeah. I mean, it looks like sort of like someone's making a hook with their <laughs> finger. And then that's what it they've put some googly eyes and a feather on it. Right. That's what it kind of looks like. <laughs> it's really bizarre looking. I swear. I, I, I swear. Some rice to your finger. There to you go. Teeth. <laughs> I have memory of seeing the string holding the head up. I, I don't know which if that's really something I have seen or if I've just imagined it because it's so obvious. It would not surprise me if yeah. if some of that is available. In the in, some of that is visible in the movie, for sure. Yeah, the giant claw. I was not as impressed with that as I was hoping. I honestly, I started watching that because I was like really interested in seeing how these movies compare sure. to the giant monster movies. So, uh, speaking of comparing them, let's actually 
take a break from the American stuff for a second and okay. talk about uh, the competitors at this point. So, so far we've seen movies uh, – we're going to ignore King Kong date-wise here because just there's nothing on par except for the right. lost King Kong films, which who knows. Yeah. 1953, 1954, 55, 57, 58, right? That's when all these movies we were just talking about, they all came out right around that same time. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about the original Godzilla from 1954, which, again, I've said this before, I feel like Godzilla, as the very first kaiju film, is the Japanese attempt at making an atomic monster-style movie like we had here in America. Yeah, I'm sitting here nodding my head. That's yeah. great podcasting. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I think that the benefit of Japan not having made those kinds of movies before is that they birthed something similar yet completely their own. And uh, that wouldn't be really understood until years later, you know, where their genre, their kaiju genre, was born in 54 and then grew year after year. And then America had their own films, but they sort of did their own thing. And the, the, the two paths didn't really cross again for a while. Yeah. You'd have some American distributors pick up those movies. I mean, sure, obviously yeah. Perry Mason has to be there to make a Godzilla movie palatable <laughs> yeah, yeah. to American audiences yeah. in the early fifties. And they did that. Like Gamera had Brian Dunleavy turn up in the, uh, yeah, the American version of that. So, but yeah, I mean, they really kind of, had their own kind of maybe a parallel creation going on. Uh, you know, it's kind of in the zeitgeist. Obviously Japan's got some issues when it comes to nuclear and atomic stuff. Understandable. Issues, uh, yeah, yes. Understandable uh, for sure. And so they have their own background and their own, for lack of a better term, baggage to bring along when they make their, when they start making their atomic monster movies. Mm-hmm. So Godzilla is just, Man, you know, I love King Kong. Like you were saying earlier, King Kong, without King Kong, we wouldn't have any of this. Godzilla is also one of those movies. Without Godzilla, we would not have monster movie dumb, period, I believe, mm. as it exists now, because it's so an important film. Yeah. And it has some amazing things happening in it. I think, was it Jeff that said on your show once, Jeff Dean, where he kind of compared it to like Universal's Frankenstein. It has that kind of starkness oh, and importance. Sounds and like something that, that Jeff would have said. And when sure. he said that, it's like, yeah, he's spot on. That, that is exactly true. It's, it is right there at the very beginning of what Japan was doing with those movies. Yeah. And I mean, I've always considered it to be sort of like, it's a fantastic movie on its own, mm-hmm. obviously, but just even viewed. So you can view it in context of the rest of the Kaiju films, or you can view it in context of whatever the rest of the world was doing at the time, which mm-hmm. would be, would have been beast from 20,000 fathoms them. Although I'm not sure there would have been any cross contamination with that movie. Timing wise, you know, 1954, that's when that one came out. But, uh, you know, just that kind of whole thing, like where it's, they're looking at what America's doing and they say, essentially they say, yeah, we want to do that. And then, so they make Godzilla and then they make Godzilla raids again the following year. Uh, and then they don't do another Godzilla movie, but then they do Rodan and then they do a science fiction movie, right? They do the Mysterians in 1957. Um, I did something. Yeah. Never seen the Mysterians. Oh, dude, the Mysterians, I'm going to warn you, it can be slow, Mm -hmm. but it's beautiful. It is a fantastically beautiful film, and the effects are, I think the effects are pretty good. And, Mm. you know, you really don't get too much of the Mogera, the, you know, the giant monster robot drill mole (laughs) thing. But uh, what you do get looks fantastic, and 
man, I should get that on Blu-ray, right? Mysterians. Is it is it on blue anywhere? Um, I don't think it's on Blu-ray. It's outside of Japan. Okay. Yeah, but it might be it might be available in Japan. Okay. Good stuff. In fact, I know it's available in Japan. I have a reconstructed digital copy of the U.S. dub with Ooh. the. I want to say is with pretty high definition. I don't know if it's like really nicely high def, high highly defined video, but <laughs> uh, it looks good. It looks good. Right on. I, I do want to see it. It's on my list and just so many movies, not enough time. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So 1957 is that's when they did Mysterians. Varan, Daikaiju Varan came out in 1958. So these are the movies that sort of parallel the movies we just talked about in the sort of first half of this episode. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, obviously I prefer the ones from Japan, <laughs> but the, you know, how are the effects when you look at those Japanese films, how do they compare to the ones here in the States? Cause I'm kind of, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people will, will look at the Japanese stuff. I went, got into a conversation with my dad, this, uh, with my dad over the course of Christmas where he was like, well, really those effects aren't good. And I was like, those effects are just as good as the stuff that was coming out in America at the time. Sure. And you know, he had to, he like legit dismissed it right, right off the bat. Just, he was like, no. And I was like, name a movie from 1963, you know? And then he did. And I was like, do you think the effects in that movie are better than this movie? (laughs) You know? And I got him to understand, but uh, I've never really looked at the effects from the 50s films. So this was your father that was saying all this? Yeah. So clearly you're adopted. (laughs) Clearly (laughs) I didn't find this stuff through his love. (laughs) Uh, Comparing the movies, uh, Godzilla Godzilla has a teeny tiny bit of stop motion. There's that one shot, I think it's tail. It's tail, yeah. And the first time you see him, he's a puppet, which... I'm not a big fan of the first appearance of Godzilla in the film, to be honest. But him in the suit, I mean, it's it's amazing. And even if you just take the suit stuff out of it, uh-huh. the work that went into creating the cityscapes that get destroyed, mm-hmm. that's that's a lot of time. That's a lot of man hours. That's a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of resources. With some of the universal stuff or or the other movies coming out of the fifties, these movies were meant to be made fast, cheap, get them out because teenagers need something to supposedly watch at the drive in. Right, right. <laughs> you know, something to put out there. Keep so, those kids watching movies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I love tarantula, but it's clearly a spider superimposed on something. Uh, deadly, excuse me, the, the black scorpion. It does have the stop motion. So it looks cool because it's stop motion. I don't know if you can really compare them though, because it's nothing like the suitmation. It's nothing like having the, the cityscapes to be destroyed by these things. Right. Right. It's really hard to say. Yeah. And you know, for the listeners out there, when Derek and I first started talking about this, because there are so many of these films that were made, just I'm mean, talking about monster movies in sure. general, cheap sci-fi monster movies from the 50s, I sort of wanted to limit that to a height. Like say, oh, you know, don't get smaller than King Kong don't or 25 right. <laughs> feet. So we started trying to figure out what movies, like who, were, who was going to be qualifying. And uh, it just got pretty complicated. So we just decided to go with... Giant bugs, or uh, what, or giant other stuff like the giant claw, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or uh, it came from beneath the sea with the octopus. But you know, overall, we just kind of wanted to talk about the monsters themselves. I, I think, honestly, I think that the the special effects really do at least 
hold their you know stay on par with American stuff if they're not better because of the amount of detail that is put into the miniatures and so forth. Right. Um, but yeah, like that's uh, I find that interesting. Like that it was it was more about getting the movies out quickly, and I'm assuming in a matter of weeks. I, I wouldn't know for sure. Uh, I'm sure it's been detailed and chronicled extremely, especially the Universal stuff. Sure, There's yeah. a lot of material available on those films. Uh, I, I wouldn't know what the production schedule would be, but I would imagine that it's a matter of getting them out fast. Well, even at the beginning with King Kong and Son of Kong coming out either the same year or one year right after the other, I'd have to double check the release date. Yeah. I mean, they were just cranking them out at times. I don't know how how long do they spend on the Godzilla films. Uh, you know, the Godzilla films, like on a modern day Godzilla film, Technically speaking, they announce it. If you're talking about that, like when do they announce it? When do they release it? It's about a year, okay. generally speaking. But um, they usually start filming in the summertime, and then they f- wrap up in September, and then they put the movie out in December. So, I mean, in terms of how much time they'd spend filming, I, I would imagine you got yeah, a few months, you know, of, of principal and special effects photography going on with those movies. I'd imagine the pre-production on a movie like that would take a lot longer than, say, like, you know, uh, Black Scorpion or, well, maybe Black Scorpion takes a little bit of time, but like Tarantula, you don't have to build the sets. Right. And you, you know? said tar- the Tarantula is an actual spider that's superimposed yeah. over. Yeah. yeah. So that's a that's just trick photography in a sense. Yeah. Right. Which you do during production or in post, whereas you don't have to worry about that with the monsters in Godzilla because they're suits that you built beforehand. So you're actually yeah. shooting it live. So. You know, you're saving time there versus all the time you spent beforehand making the city. Who's going to be the tarantula wrangler? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, back then, I'm sure they. It's unfortunate. I'm an, <laughs> oh, no, we don't need to go. Yeah, there. <laughs> I'm an I'm an animal lover, so I cringe when I think about what's happened to animals over the years in the movies, and I'll leave it at that. All right. So moving on from giant. <laughs> moving and, on. Yeah, moving on, but we can move on from giant bugs and from the giant animals, like uh, you know the octopus and whatever you want to call the giant claw, and we can talk about uh, whatever that thing was. Uh, we could talk about the giant people. Giant Amazing people. colossal man. Attack of the fifty foot woman. And the sequel to Amazing Colossal Man. Uh, War of the Colossal Beast. Now, all cards on the table. I know the <laughs> Amazing Colossal Man and the Colossal Beast movie from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they definitely got misted. Um, yeah, that was my yeah. first my first encounter with those films. So I'm assuming you, you enjoy Amazing Colossal Man on its own merits. I do. Uh, and I like War of the Colossal Beast because it's got kind of a cool makeup. It's like his skull's half yeah, exposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of a cool image. And I think I like the movie poster better than the movie because the movie poster's got him with the train and, you know, holding yeah. it up. But another moment of great podcasting there is I pose how the poster looks. <laughs> and then Derek held something imaginary up over his head. <laughs> <laughs> I do like those movies better than Attack of the 50 Foot Woman. Okay. I, I think Attack of the 50 Foot Woman's interesting because you start to have some feminist stuff maybe kind of work its way in. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you got a couple of things going on with the female characters and that, but the special effects of her walking around are, are fairly transparent and see-through and okay. not really the best. And because she's moving so slow in the film, which I'm sure was intentional because I mean, you're a big lumbering 50 foot woman now Yes, because she's moving so slow. You have plenty of time to see just how transparent some of the effects are and you can start to see through her edges and, I'm sure they did the best they could at the time, but it does make the movie feel 
a little bit more dated than I think some of the other movies from that era do. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That, for some reason, I've never seen that. I've only seen clips or maybe even the whole thing of mm. the 19, would you say 93? I think it's 93. Yeah. Of, uh, of attack of the 50 foot woman with Daryl Hannah. That yeah, was an HBO production. Daryl Hannah and Daniel Baldwin as her husband. <laughs> but the classic is what we should probably yeah. talk about. The classic is, I mean, but amazing colossal man. Like I could see that someone making that movie, I think really wanted to make a good movie. Sure. And well, you again, know? it's Bert I Gordon. It's Mr. Big. And he's, He's good at making things look big on screen. Mm-hmm. He does have its laughable moments with the syringe. You know, when he, when he throws <laughs> oh, a right. syringe down and, you know, gets the guy and impales him. Ah, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff, though. I it, mean, it's, it is good stuff. And without it, a scene like that, it, I mean, that's that, those are the kinds of things that make these movies what they are. Right. Obviously, you know? the, the memorable moments, for yeah. better or worse, they're yeah. what you for remember. For better or for worse, yeah. yes. Damn you if you disagree, Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> Just kidding. I absolutely love that particular episode. Uh, but War of the Colossal Beast, like, that's another one. Mm-hmm. Like, how many years passed? I mean, what's the difference there if you, if you know off the top of your head? I did not write Amazing that down. Amazing Colossal Man was 57. Yeah, I, I didn't write it down, actually. I wrote down years for everything else on my piece of paper here, but I didn't write it down for that. It is a sequel. It, it is a true sequel. They have a different actor playing the Colossal Man, but it is a true sequel to the film. So it wouldn't have been too long, I imagine. 1958. So yeah, it's just the next year. So literally just one year later, they made War of the Colossal Beast. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, are there any other like giant monster movies from that particular time period? Because we're getting at the end of the 50s, which is when we started realizing that there were just kind of less of these things happening in the States. Yeah. Kind yeah. of running their course. Uh, we were trying to kind of nail down a time frame before we started recording about, you know, the atomic horror versus when did the Cold War start and the Cuban Missile Crisis and all that and trying to put it in context there. He did have a, have a spite uh, or a spate, excuse me, of, of like dinosaur movies mm-hmm. that would turn up. And, and I can't help but wonder if maybe those were inspired by the kaiju films because Godzilla is this big dinosaur looking thing. Sure, sure. So I can't help but wonder if, Seeing a dinosaur in something like Beast from Hollow Mountain or Dinosaurus as these giant monsters yeah. turning up, which again, not probably as good as the Godzilla or the Kaiju films of the era, but Beast from Hollow Mountain had Willis Bryan involved in it again. He was a co-writer on the project. So I wanted to mention that at least because it's, yeah, it's yeah, Obi, yeah. you know, you want to mention Willis. And also, I mean, like it just visually speaking, mm-hmm. we're breaking out of the black and white movies at this point, right? right? Like, so black, I mean, obviously the Colossal Man and Colossal Beast movies were black and white mm-hmm. as well as Attack of the 50 Foot Woman, but moving along into these monster movies. Well, actually, you know what? This is great because we could talk about Valley of Guanji. Mm-hmm. We could talk about uh, these movies, like you just said. And then, I mean, all of these have like a stop motion effect component component to them right even yeah. uh the mysterious island right yes that's uh, another movie from right. the early 60s in color stop motion but these are less about a monster run amok right and more about almost like an adventure movie which does kind of harken back to what king kong really kind yeah, of is absolutely. It's, yeah. it's an adventure movie which makes sense because if you learn about marion c cooper and, and his partners and what they did before they did king kong that's that was their life. They mm-hmm. would go into these places and shoot these real life films and bring them back to the States. And King Kong is basically his story. You know? Yeah. And yeah. It's just amazing. Highly recommend people learn about Marion C. Cooper. But anyway, yeah, these are movies where you go to an Island and 
it's a lost civilization, a lost animal, something still there, these giant sized creatures. Uh, the bee scene in Mysterious Island is the one that I always think about. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. isn't there a bit where you can see a close up of its eye? I think and, so. You see yeah, the reflection. Yeah. And, and then it's there's just like, because they're on that cliff face. Yeah. Too, yeah. Great. Yeah. Anyway, if you haven't seen the Mysterious Island kids, that is definitely, that's a movie I grew up with. Yeah. Like, that's so, you know, when we talked earlier about me not seeing these movies when I was growing up and, mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, one of the reasons why is that my parents probably did not think that they were appropriate for me. Mm -hmm. Like it took me a long time before they, I mean, would let me watch scary anything at all. And we're talking about things that are not very scary at all. (laughs) So, uh, the the mysterious Island as an adventure movie, I mean, this fits in with 20,000 leagues beneath the sea and even the, um, like the family Robinson Swiss yeah. family Robinson movies in a sense, like they've got that same adventurous vibe to them. I'm in the same boat. My parents did not want me to see scary movies growing up. If it was a black and white monster movie, those mm-hmm. were somehow safe because they were black and white. Sure. Yeah. But really if my mother had her way, uh, I don't think my dad cared as much, but my mother really kind of steered me toward a lot of the Disney live action stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 20,000 leagues, obviously Disney film and mysterious Island is still is sequel not officially through Disney, it's through a different company, but it's also a Jules Verne story and Captain yeah. Nemo's and that as well and and that sort of thing. So those were okay because they weren't, you know, the scary monster movies. So those are the ones that I grew up watching as well. So yeah. I'm and right then, there with you, man. And again, even continuing along that stop motion mm-hmm. theme, or actually at this point in time, you could almost call it a stop motion fad because Harryhausen is in on some of this stuff too with Movies like Jason and the Argonauts yeah. and the Sinbad films, mm-hmm. which, I mean, we don't need to talk too much about those because they are not really giant monster movies, but they do have large monsters in them. You know, you've sure. got the Griffin and the Cyclops. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I mean, these are, again, adventure films. I would never consider them kaiju movies or, or really their ilk, but I mean, these things were my jam when I was a kid. I loved those kinds of monsters. So it's not surprising to me because I didn't know Japanese monster movies that I totally gravitated towards these films. And like, I don't see stop motion and think fake. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, that's, yeah. like, that's that same kind of thing. Like Chewbacca is not a guy in a suit. Chewbacca's Chewbacca is Chewbacca. Yeah. He's a Wookiee from the planet Kashyyyk, you know? Yeah. Like, that's what I look at these movies, and I don't see them as fake, really. When I was growing up, and I've always loved movies, you know, and I've always loved, like, the science fiction stuff. And, you know, the sci-fi movies were okay when I was a kid. So, of course, I was a Star Wars kid and, you know, Star Trek movies and all Mm -hmm. this stuff. Mm -hmm. As I got older and started to realize that E.T. wasn't real, that that was somebody in a suit and a puppet and all that, man, I was heartbroken. (laughs) Like, I it's like, I I want that to be real and to realize that Chewbacca's a dude in a suit and... You know, if you look just right, you can see the bottom of his boots underneath his feet as he's walking away. And it's just a guy in a suit. It's like, wow, I, man, it just broke my heart, you yeah. know, when I was a kid. But <laughs> I got over and then started loving those movies even more. But yeah. Well, you know, you gotta, you gotta grow up sometime. No, no, you don't. You know, and then I found out the tooth fairy wasn't real and then Santa Claus stopped showing up and then. <sighs> man, your childhood came crashing down. I know, right? Because of these movies. Realized Oprah Winfrey wasn't real and then. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I thought she had power over bees. Oh. Anyway, uh, let's move along. I mean, these these movies are. I think that these kind of are interesting. They they in the same way that the Atomic Monster movies 
occupy a very special part in a point in time. Mm-hmm. I feel like these movies also hit that same vibe. And actually, we weren't going to talk about it because it's not an American monster movie, but the same time period, 1961, you have Gorgo, yeah. which I, I definitely, you know, Gorgo absolutely is a, a British, for the listeners that are not familiar, is a British response to the kaiju film. So unfortunately, we don't really have an American response, right? Like I have ever seen any giant monster suit action here in the States. Especially from that era. I can't think of anything. Of course, I'm going to get home and, you know, turn on the computer and it's like, oh, wait a minute. There's that one thing I need to send. My, oh, man. You know, but no, no I can't think no, of anything think from that era, any. especially. Because yeah. I think by the time you get to the 60s, this is where, you know, stop motion is probably your best option at the time. Harryhausen must have been working for cheap. Harryhausen, well, he loved what he did. I mean, right. he, he was an artist. He was a master. We were just talking about Guanji. I'm so excited that that's finally coming out on Blu-ray. It was the last Harryhausen movie to not have a Blu-ray release of some sort. So mm-hmm. that's coming, I think, later this year. I can't wait to get my hands on that. But, man, he loved what he did. And just, man, I can't imagine just hunched over in the studio making those subtle movements to make those things come to life. You said they look real to you. They looked real to me. Yeah. You know, the Sinbad stuff with the skeletons and, and all that. And the movie Clash of the Titans gave me nightmares, not because of the movie itself, but because of the poster. Oh, nice. <laughs> the poster and, and seeing images of the Kraken from something terrified me as a kid and gave me nightmares. I mean, this, I mean, I know we're skipping ahead to the eighties with Clash of the Titans. Sure. Still, yeah. We can know. do that though. Actually, yeah. uh, because we're talking about Ray Harryhausen, mm-hmm. uh, we could definitely talk about that because I, I mean, these are sort of, let's paint giant swaths of color for these and say like, this is the Harryhausen era. Essentially. It really is really extended. I mean, once you, and I guess what I should say is, Science fiction is not what these movies are anymore, right? So science fiction horror is really where the atomic monster stuff was. And now in the 60s, you're sort of getting in, into a much more of a adventure style stuff for your monsters, which is why you don't get those scary monster movies that we saw from the 50s. That's, that's a good way to look at it. You know, Harryhausen was really big into mythology. So a lot of the stuff that he did, you could really kind of consider more fantasy than anything else. It wasn't really a monster thing. I mean, he loved the myths. Yeah. And he would tap into that for these things. So you're right. To get your monsters, you'd have to go to a non-horror flick. I mean, you'd get, you know, horror movies coming out of Europe of that time that, that are just terrifying. Are they monster movies? I, I don't think so. Sure, but, sure. I mean, so, sometimes. But. So, um, like, uh, specifically, I'm thinking, American science fiction, maybe scary horror elements involved. Like they're focusing on other things that might be terrifying. Like best one that I can think of, in my opinion, no monsters in it is fantastic voyage where the people get shrunk down. That's a science fiction movie with scary elements. You know what I mean? That's sort of what I'm thinking. Like when in the sixties, that's what you get for that sort of like scary sci-fi vibe. Yeah. Instead of things like monsters. Yeah. I mean, in the late sixties, you then end up with things like Planet of the Apes and things like that, which, right. you know, you could say maybe have some scary elements in them, but they're, again, they're more sci-fi. I mean, great monster. Well, creature design. Sure. Yeah. 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 But I think great monster design. No, well, you consider them monsters. I, I don't know. But, I don't know. Do you consider King Kong a monster? Oh, uh, well, yeah, I think I would. <laughs> he will be in my upcoming book. Awesome. Yes. Well, we can talk about your book at the end of the show. Oh, okay, okay. 
So aside from that, in the '60s, like I mean, we don't really have too much in the way of monster movies I don't, here in the states. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, didn't we loaned King Kong to Toho? You know, so it's not like we even have him over here. You know. So. Yeah, and then we played around with the idea of including movies like Night of the Lepus <laughs> and Food of the Gods in this. I mean, they are large animals, mm-hmm. nature run amok films so i don't think they really belong yeah that, that seems to be more of that that subgenre you get the food of the gods one and two and not a lepus and a few other you know grizzly which isn't really a big but it's that style yeah these like sort of like the second cousin twice removed for kaiju movies <laughs> right yeah so i mean there's really not I, I don't think there's a lot of things that we can compare it to you know it'd be interesting to come back to this subject at some point and yeah and, and be proven wrong yeah and then explore those those inconsistencies and incorrect answers uh, if they are in fact incorrect. I mean, this is the kind of thing like I wish I knew a little bit more about or, you know, had the time to dedicate to researching something like that, maybe someday. Uh, But, you know, so moving along past the sixties, I mean, that's where again, science fiction techniques improve with the, uh, with the release of 1968, I believe 2001. Yeah. 2001, Planet of the Apes, the, these movies, either both for the visual effects, the optical effects, or, I mean, the, planet, the mass-produced prosthetics that sure, they had to yes, do for yeah. Planet of the Apes is just nothing short of amazing uh, that they had to do that for those. So you have these, these wonderful films coming out at the end of the 60s, you get into the 70s, and it's a completely different kind of filmmaking uh, approach than what you had in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and things are a little... Cheaper, uh, right? Well, and the world's a darker place. You know, yeah. these movies tend to be a little bit more dark. You know, you've got... Vietnam. You've got all these other things happening in the world. So these movies, they don't have that kind of lighthearted John Agar hero, you know, in, in some of these films, unfortunately. And and again, no real giant monsters to speak of. Well, in 76, you get the King Kong remake. Until we get to King yeah. Kong. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So uh, I know that in the 76, I've seen the 76 King Kong more than I've seen the original 33. Because really? my parents finally let me watch that when we... We eventually moved from one city to another, and when we got to the, the next city, which was Atlanta, Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, there was much more on television. We got cable, and uh, it's a real rags to riches story. But no, <laughs> the uh, we had <laughs> all of a sudden we could afford cable. <laughs> Woo! But uh, you know, I think that must have come on TV or something like that. And this would have been like mid '80s for me. That's when I saw King Kong, and I was now talk about relatable to kaiju movies. This is the first man in suit monkey movie that I had ever seen. For a giant size, yeah. I mean, the the tradition of putting a man in a gorilla suit goes way back in Hollywood. Right, but right. to have a giant gorilla or monkey, yeah. And it's Rick Baker in the suit. Yeah. I mean, special effects icon in the suit. I mean, it's a man in suit movie. And uh, we, we talked about it on Monster Kid Radio last year because last year was the uh, 40th anniversary of the film. And... I did not realize that. Yes, yeah. I did. Somebody told me that at one point, but I didn't realize it during the whole rest of the year. Yeah. And I think it gets a bad rap. I think mm. it's a really interesting film and does what the best remakes do in that it addresses the concerns of the time it's being released. Yes. And in King Kong yes. 76, you've got all this oil crisis stuff going on. And and again, you've got some feminism things happening with the Jessica Lane character and a character owning her own sexuality and, and the oil crisis again, like I said, with the, the Charles, uh, Broden character, mm-hmm. Broden? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Character, uh, coming in. It's really interesting. Even Jeff Bridges character is yeah. sort of like the, Hey man, like, yeah. I mean, it's, 
it definitely echoes more of something from that era. It really does. I don't know if that means it didn't age as well, and maybe that's not why people dig it as much. Um, but I, I really like it, and mm. it's probably the next on my list of Blu-rays to order from Japan. Interesting. Because I, I need to have it. Wait, you have the Japanese version of this movie? Uh, from what I understand, it's got an English track on it, but it also has uh, the TV spots. Now, in the 70s, and maybe even the 80s, you'd have this phenomenon where a horror movie would be released theatrically, but to make it go on TV, they'd have to cut some of the more graphic stuff out okay. or intense stuff out. But to make it fill the time slot available, they would have TV stuff to put in instead. So you'd have these longer shots or sequences in King Kong specifically – there's a bit where Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange are in a bar as King Kong's running amok in the city. And that's, that scene goes much longer in the TV cut. Really? Versus the theatrical. And oh. my understanding is that that stuff's all in one place on the Japanese Blu-ray. Awesome. So I, I want to get my hands on that pretty bad. I had no idea, man. That's yeah. awesome news. That's cool. So, um, but no, it's, it's a good film. It, it is missing other monsters. And that's one of the, the big criticisms of the film is that King Kong doesn't get to fight very many things on the island. It's like a giant snake. Is that right? Yeah. And that's about it. There's yeah. no other things for him to be king of. Right. You know, he's right. just Kong. And it's unfortunate. But then again, they did have some issues with special effects. So maybe it's a good thing we didn't see that much. Um, but, <laughs> you know, are, are you you're a fan of the film? I'm guessing. I like it. You know, okay. it's one of those movies where I haven't seen it in quite some time. Uh, I had. And I saw it a bunch when I was a kid and, you know, that sort of, I love the Rick Baker Kong, you yeah. know, and the, the face of that Kong is, I mean, I know it's kind of blasphemous to say, but that's my King Kong when I look, when I'm, what I'm looking for in a King Kong, right? Like when someone like Art Adams, are you familiar with his, oh, yeah. his work, yeah. right? So like Art Adams has drawn a lot of simian characters in his career. He did an entire series short-lived called monkey man and o'brien right yeah and yeah and like it's like his his idea of what a gorilla face looks like is exactly what rick is exactly like rick baker's king kong face looks like from that movie and so that to me is very it just epitomizes what kong should look like i've mentioned uh, on my show quite a bit i may have even mentioned it here the first time you had me on uh, the Crestwood House books are what really got me into monster movies when I was right, a kid. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there was a King Kong book for that, from that publishing company. And the cover of that book, the King Kong is the Rick Baker face. So for years, for me, that is true. I mean, that was my King Kong. That's what I knew. Uh, I hadn't seen the 33 or the original at all. I didn't know. Yeah. So just looking at those book covers and seeing the Rick Baker Kong face, that was King Kong for me for years. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's got some issues, but overall, I think it's a pretty solid suit. And I think Rick Baker does the best he could with what he had. Yeah. So aside from King Kong, that the uh, was it the next year or two years later, we had King Kong Lives? I think King Kong Lives came out in the 80s, yeah. but that's a sequel. Oh, it is. It totally is like 86, I yeah. think. With Linda Hamilton. Yes. Oh, I just saw that one recently for the first time. I've... Funny story, I've had the Japanese poster up on my wall for years now, <laughs> but it wasn't until a few years ago that I saw King Kong Lives for the first time, and I think it took me two sittings to watch. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I remember at some point, I think, I don't know if I got like pulled away from it or if I kind of let myself get pulled away from it, <laughs> but then I eventually came back and watched the rest of the movie. <laughs> it's It's... It's a straight up sequel. I mean, they, it's not like another Kong story or like Mighty Joe yeah. Young or whatever. It's a flat out sequel that 
the monkey lived and it needs a heart transplant. <laughs> it's um And there's a lady and a baby. Oh man. And man. I know I know there are people out there who love it. Sure. I'm sure there are people who love all these movies that think they're the best things ever. There's nothing wrong with loving these films at all. I mean, each of these films, this is the exact same thing I say about kaiju movies. Each of these movies has stuff to love in it. And so I would never, I would never shame anybody for loving King Kong lives. You know, I wouldn't shame anybody for hating King Kong lives. You know, this is just one of those, it's a bizarre movie. It's a bizarre way to think that this is what we should do for our next King Kong movie. <laughs> It's it's definitely 80s Dino De Laurentiis versus the 70s Dino De Laurentiis who did the King Kong 76. Mm. Um, just a different vibe, different different budgetary <laughs> things going on. Yeah. Yeah. Different plots. No. Like, so weird. Yeah. So bizarre. But I mean, again, kind of cool that they that they went there with it. And then, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that that's sort of our last giant monster movie from the States. Uh, from the 70s, I, I think so. Uh, we, we didn't really have a lot of men in suit stuff happening here. Really. No, not really. So, I, I mean, obviously, the King Kong right. inspired several, you know, mid 70s knockoffs. Yeah. So I don't we know have like Mighty Peking Man. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That, and that's, uh, is that Japanese? No, that's actually Shaw Brothers from. Uh, from China. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. From, I want to say Hong Kong, but I'm not positive. So I'll just say from China. Well, and just the word Kong would work itself into you know, like Conga from the yeah, 60s yeah. or Queen Kong or, or things or like that. Or Ape, just, you know. Oh, boy. That's getting a Blu ray release. You believe that? Well, you know, <laughs> giant monkeys are big for a reason right now. That's true. And we could actually just segue to talk about that right now. I mean, obviously, sure. we 2005 was not a, a man in a suit, but it was a, two, a CGI. King Kong from Peter Jackson, which I don't know. I, I liked it. I don't, I've seen it several times. I like the period stuff in it. I think they got the period, right? Okay. I, I don't really appreciate Jack Black's performance. Um, and, and I feel like the movie is just overly long. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter Jackson has made no bones about loving King Kong. That was one of his favorite movies growing up. He wanted to remake King Kong. That was his dream. Yeah. He did the Lord of the Rings movies, made a ton of money for the studios and they let him do whatever he wanted. And he did King Kong and they probably should have had somebody on set to kind of pull him back a little bit, in my opinion, because yeah. there's no reason that movie needs to be what, three and a half hours long, whatever it is a <laughs> yeah. week. I don't know. It just feels really long. It feels like me. a kid with a million dollars. Right. Well, actually, I mean, <laughs> probably yeah. way more than well, a million that's dollars. True. That's way true. more than a million dollars. If yeah. I had to rank the King Kong movies, um, you know, the original is my favorite, then 76 is right up there. But you know, 2005, I just, I don't have the connection to it. And I think mm -hmm. part of it's because I know it's, it's CG. Yeah. One of those things where you know how movies are made and sometimes it kind of pulls you out of it. And I know it's a guy in a stop motion capture suit or stop motion. No, mocap. That's what mo it is. Yeah, yeah. Stop motion capture. What is that? A mocap <laughs> suit. And, and, you know, and, and great. And the I think stop motion capture is probably the next big thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Somebody pay right, attention so, to that. So, so to wear a ping pong suit. I'm going to stand <laughs> in this one position, <laughs> take a picture. And I'm going to move slightly, my arms slightly, <laughs> and we're going to do motion cap, stop motion capture. Yes, yes. <laughs> the slowest, <laughs> the slowest CGI technologies wow. available. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a guy in a mocap suit, and, and the guy does great work. Yeah. What's his name? I forget his name. Andy Smeagol. Yeah, Andy Smeagol. <laughs> no, I don't know his name. Andy Circus. Circus. Andy Smeagol. That's hilarious. He does great work. I mean, yeah. he did great work as Gollum in, in the Lord of the Rings films. He's He's really good. But I know it's CG and I know if somebody went in and flipped the breaker, they'd, you know, there'd be no King Kong for me to look at. That's right. That's and, right. And, yeah. and I want that tangible 
it's there, even if it's like 40 inches tall on my desk and I'm stop motioning and stop motioning it. Stop, you know what I mean? I know it's real. It's, I can touch it. You're puppeteering it. There's the word. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yes, sir. Professional <laughs> podcaster. I, yeah, I mean the, the King Kong movie that came out in 2005. I mean, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I, you know, I guess what I would say is I'm glad that that didn't kick off a giant monster boom in 2005 because I don't think that we would have been able to get as good as we're getting today with today's CGI, right? Right. In 2005, I think we would have been in a much worse situation. Yeah, but just a few years later, they did Cloverfield, right? Yes, but Cloverfield, mm-hmm. nice segue. Uh, Cloverfield. Professional. Is yeah, buddy. So, uh, Cloverfield is it, it occupies its own unique space because it is not you don't see the monster, it's like it's not a monster movie from that perspective, it's a monster movie from a different perspective. So, right, yes, I agree with you. Like, the, the effects were great in that movie in 2008, but like, it's still you don't see the monster too much, right? Like, that's the uh the qualm people have with 2014's Godzilla. You don't see Godzilla. Like right. you don't see Cloverfield. You only see it like twice, two or three times, like right. really briefly when they're flying over the city. And then the face at the end, spoiler alert. <laughs> right. Right. I think, you I don't like see it very it, often yeah. at all. I mean, you see the effects of it and what it's doing, but and then that works for that. I mean, if you'd seen it, it had been overexposed, I think. Yeah, maybe and also hitting on that whole like, uh, what is a you know what is the general consciousness of the human population afraid of at this point in time? Cloverfield absolutely tapped into nine eleven type fears. Oh sure, you, you, know? you can't watch that movie and see, especially when it first attacks. You know, you can't see the symbolism there and be like, well. <laughs> Somebody watched a lot of CNN from that you know, yeah. 9-11 because oh, that's, yeah. that's what's happening on screen right now. Yeah, that's what sure. they made for us. And it's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's what I love about Cloverfield more than anything is that it's the, it's sort of the response to mm-hmm. today's time period of like, what are we afraid of? Especially people living in a big city like New York. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the one event. I mean, you hear some of the original monster kids talk about, they know where they were when JFK was, was assassinated. For people like you and me, I'm sure you know where you were when 9-11 happened. Yeah. I, I know where I was, what I was wearing, where my wife was. You know, I mean, I know that seared into my mind. So to see movies come out as a response to that, not surprising. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, even today with Shin Godzilla, a response to what's happening in Japan now, not surprising. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And, you know, the whole thing with, the uh, like, I heard people say after Cloverfield came out, like, too soon, man. Too soon. Like, and I just, I'm not, I don't agree to that. I don't subscribe to that sort of like thinking. Art is one of the ways we cope with these things, mm-hmm. right? And, and movies are art, you know, they're a business too, but they're art. And that's how we kind of process. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if they had rushed into production uh, the next day and made a movie about it starring Nicolas Cage, maybe that would be too soon. Sure, sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it, it wasn't, you know, a recreation of what had happened. And it was just a way to kind of process it in a, a safe, a safer environment surrounded yeah. by monsters. <laughs> yeah, I think the problem, almost the problem that I would say these movies that are made today have, you know, what they have going against them is that whole like movie made by committee thing. Yeah. Where you have people in a room that are trying to decide what consumers want to see as opposed <laughs> yeah. to someone. And this is maybe 
be sounding a little too high and mighty, but somebody having sort of like an artistic vision for something and, you know, a real reason for making a decision behind a film as opposed to, well, this should play well between 13 and 45 males. So, you know, that's yeah. the kind of thing that unfortunately we're having to deal with these days. That's Hollywood, man. Yeah. And no, so Hollywood is also pumping out another movie. We're ignoring Pacific Rim. Because even though that's a kaiju movie, it's got the word kaiju and it has giant monsters in it. It's really, it's an adventure film. It's a great film. I love it. I love, I, I'm real curious to see what's going to happen with the sequel. I'm, I'm me a little, too, me too. I'm a little worried because I know Legendary is kind of, I know they're doing the, the monster verse, but I also know they've got some issues and some problems and I hope it does well. I want to see Legendary continue. Yeah. And I want to see, I want to see Pacific Rim do more cool stuff, right? Yeah. Like where I would love to see where the first one failed for the second one to succeed, you know, but, uh, because it's less of a monster movie, it's more of an adventure movie or a giant, yeah. you know, a giant robot movie. Yeah. Then I think we're just going to move along to this year coming up in next month is yeah, speaking Kong of legendary. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Kong on Skull Island. So, I mean, really, I don't, I, I'm excited for it, but at the same time, in the same vein as what I was just talking about, like, I don't know where they're going to find that connectivity for, a, you know, they're not, they're not setting it in modern day times. They're setting it in like Vietnam era tie, uh, you know, that Is it 60s or 70s. Frame. I, I don't know. Well, there's a lot of imagery that goes back to like apocalypse now. So it could t- totally be, you know, late sixties Vietnam. Yeah. I'm guessing it's like Vietnam era. Yeah. You I mean, know, just from, just from what I've seen in the, two trailers I've seen for it. Have you seen the poster that was done up like Apocalypse Now? Yeah, for the IMAX. Yeah, yeah it's pretty it's, cool looking. It's, it's a cool poster. Um, I wonder what Francis Ford Coppola thinks of that. But you know, Oh, yeah. Interesting. Know, but, but no, it's a great poster. I think the trailers look good. I um, I don't know. I mean, movie making by committee, I feel like, has kind of crept in here. I love what Legendary's done, and I want them to continue, like I said, but they looked at Marvel. They're making a bunch of money by connecting all their movies. Let's start our own little thing. And Universal's doing it now with their monster stuff. And yeah. Which I could, that's not what we talk about here on the Kaiju Cast. Um, <laughs> although I could. Um, I, Frankenstein, agree. Oh, man. Wow. That was, um, I'm going to, I'm going to steal in, that. In poor taste. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. I like the idea of having a King Kong versus Godzilla again because I think that I have a special connection to King Kong versus Godzilla. Mm-hmm. You're involved in that connection. Um, personally. Because, oh yeah. Yeah. I remember. Uh, I, I had big, a big kaiju sized gap in my monster kingdom until I saw King Kong versus Godzilla at the Hollywood hosted by you. Um, that I can say, and I know it sounds kind of hyperbolic, but it changed my life, man. Sweet. Uh, that movie made me a diehard kaiju fan for life. And that's awesome. You know, I, I love seeing those two go at it. I mean, it's, it's a great film and if they can do it well, Great. I want to see it. And to get there, we've got to get through Kong Skull Island and Godzilla too. Definitely. Are you excited for Kong Skull Island yourself? Yeah. I mean, so I'm, uh, I'm, like I said earlier, like I, I like King Kong, but I love Godzilla. You know, mm-hmm. King Kong's not even in the same, uh, sure. you know, ranking system, really. No, nobody's perfect, Kyle. It's okay. That's understandable. But, uh, <laughs> but, King, with the new Kong on Skull Island movie, I was not really excited for it because I was kind of like, I didn't really like the idea of King Kong versus Godzilla as being a goal and mm. them doing a new Kong movie. I wasn't really excited. Um, I guess once they announced King Kong versus Godzilla and that the universes were going to join, 
I guess there's a little part of me that's a little intrigued as to how they're well, there's a part of me that is absolutely intrigued as to how they're going to take it from the 2014 Godzilla movie through Kong on Skull Island and Godzilla 2 and arrive at King Kong versus Godzilla. I'm curious to see how that's going to work. Knowing that this is a period piece for all intents and purposes, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to get from the end of that film to what will be a contemporary film right, when they do right. finally meet, if, yeah. they, if they do make it that far. So that's sort of probably the driving force plus the podcast of why I want to see these movies. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think they're important, but they're not, they're important just to maybe introduce new people to these, these movies. But like, I don't find that Godzilla was in the 2014 movie was important to the genre of giant monster movies. I liked the movie. I know a lot of people didn't. And you mentioned earlier the complaints that Godzilla wasn't in it enough. And again, our friend Andy Campbell has gone through and watched pretty much all of these movies yeah. and, and timed how long these monsters appear on screen and movie or monster time on screen length doesn't necessarily equal a good movie and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I don't think Godzilla needed to be in the movie as much as a lot of people did. And I thought it was fine. Was it an important movie? Did it really have a lot to say? Was it movie making by committee? I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, without it, we wouldn't have had Shin Godzilla, I think. So no, good, you're good absolutely right. I'm, I'm glad without, that's here. Without the 2014, I mean, much in the same way we were talking about like King Kong, mm -hmm. without King Kong, we wouldn't have the original Godzilla. Like without the legendary pictures, Godzilla's success, the right. money that they made and the worldwide attention that that garnered, Toho absolutely would not have resurrected Godzilla for, you know, any foreseeable mm -hmm. time that I could say. Um, it, it was about the, the right time Toho in terms of their breakage. Like when they say, we're going to take a break with Godzilla. It's generally about 10 years okay. when they do that. Generally, the only exception to that is between the uh, Heisei and Millennium, where there's really only like five years or four years. But, you know, that's sort of like, I don't want to say that we wouldn't have gotten a new Godzilla movie. We wouldn't have gotten Shin Godzilla. Yeah. And okay. we wouldn't have gotten, we might not have gotten something so soon, but still, I mean, I think eventually we would have gotten something, but I I agree that Shin Godzilla was born from the success of Legendary's Godzilla. Sure. But that's yeah. really the only thing I can say that was important about it, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, it was a fun movie, and, and I dug it, and I, I love the score. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's... And again, like, I think the listeners have heard me say millions of times now that I love a fun monster movie. Right. And so, like, there's nothing wrong with doing a monster movie if it's just because you want to do something for fun. You know, there's so I don't want anybody to think that I'm so hoity toity about this <laughs> that I can't appreciate a movie just being a movie, you know? Sure. Uh, so, well, I mean, that sort of takes us up to speed. I mean, I'm excited for King Kong, but I'm, you know, we'll see. I, I'm more excited for how King Kong plays into the eventual Godzilla films. And, then, and I'm assuming you're looking for Godzilla too. I mean, that's going to be. Yeah, yeah, Michael Doherty. So, oh, shoot. You know what I should mention, uh, especially yeah. since we're so deep into our conversation. <laughs> if anybody heard me talking on the emergency broadcast about Michael Doherty on Krampus, I incorrectly uh, spoke about Krampus. I said something about a vignette 
part of it where these people go get a Christmas tree and accidentally bring home a changeling. And I, again, I know we're talking about last episode (laughs) and this is uh, not relevant to our conversation, but I screwed up and I was actually thinking about an anthology Christmas movie, horror movie. Mm. And uh, so I I was like, yeah, I'm excited because Michael Doherty and this part was really creepy and it was awesome. And now I realize, nope, Michael Doherty did not do that. (laughs) That was me superimposing what I was hoping was his work onto him. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. But honestly, um, Michael Doherty is sort of in the same boat as Gareth Edwards, where he hasn't done very much for Godzilla 2, you know, and so I'm. I still wish somebody established would come in and do something like, uh, I think I mentioned it at some point, get the dude who did fast and furious to do a Godzilla movie. Wow. Or, you know, yeah. Or, I don't know. I, I'm just saying like, it's focus on something adventurous and fun and fast paced, bring it into the second film so that the third film with King Kong versus Godzilla, you can have something that makes sense for two giant monsters to be beating the crap out of each other. Yeah. Isn't they are calling it Godzilla King of the monsters, aren't they? Isn't that the, the official name? Yeah. That is the official name. Godzilla King of the monsters, which historically that's, that was what the American version of the first Godzilla was called here with, with Perry Mason, Uh, Steve Martin. Yeah. Um, Raymond Burr, that guy, (laughs) you know, whatever. That guy, it's anyway, the same guy, man. Which, which was a little bit more lighthearted than the Japanese version. So, maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I do like the girl that they they uh, said is going to be part of the cast. Girl from Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what role she's going to play. I mean, I've heard rumors that she might be one of the people that sings to Mothra, but uh, you know, I don't <laughs> that would know. Be awesome. But we we're talking about how she could be like another Mickey Segusa from the Hayes <laughs> era because she's already got the psychic connection. There, there you go. There you go. Um, I'm excited, yeah. but yeah. Um, I'm, I'm eager to see Kong's Colon. I'm going to talk about it on Monster Kid Radio for sure. Cause even though it's a modern movie, it's some Kong. I got to talk about Kong on my show. So. Hey, you got to dive, you know, diversify your portfolio, right? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, that sort of wraps up our conversation here. So Derek, tell me a little bit about this, uh, your book that you're writing. <laughs> got a book coming out later this year called 50 Shades of Monster Movies. It's a list of 50 black and white monster movies from the classic era that you should love. And I'll tell you why in this book, uh, it's not going to be written just by me. I'm inviting some of my previous podcast guests nice. to come on as well, to write some essays about some of these movies. Of course, King Kong's going to be in the book. And of course, Godzilla will be in the book, but excellent, there's, excellent. there's some other things in there that I think may catch some people by surprise. I'm going to have some serious monster movies, some of the more goofy ones, giant claw will not make an appearance. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but, um, <laughs> Damn it. Damn it, Derek. Yeah. You know, the, the, the approach that I take to, to all these monster movies and with the movies that I talk about in general, whether they're a really well-made movie or they're goofy and by all rights should not get the attention they deserve. If they make me smile, they're a good movie as far as I'm concerned. So whether it's a serious movie like the first Godzilla or something kind of goofy like The Screaming Skull or something like that, if they make me smile, they're a good movie and I'm going to write about it in that book. Nice. Excellent. So the, the plan is later this year. Okay. Um, now monsterkidradio.net is my website for the podcast, but I also have monsterkidwriter.com, which will eventually be kind of the place to go to find all of my monster kid writing stuff. Uh, there, there's a small bibliography that's slowly growing articles that have appeared in scary monsters magazines and places like that. And so everything about my writing quote unquote career will be there if it's monster kid related. Nice. That's so. awesome, dude. I can't wait to see that. Me too. 
bet. Well, Derek, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I mean, so aside from this book and your podcast, is there anything else you got working on? You got working on? I've got working on. Oh, ah, um, boy. Words, you know, I, you know, the podcast is going strong. Uh, I've crossed the 300th episode mark. And uh, just this past February, well, I don't know when is this going on. Is this going out this month? Yeah, this is coming out like okay. tomorrow. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I'm doing Frankenstein February over at Monster Kid Radio. So every episode has been about a Frankenstein film or, or something about Frankenstein. Awesome. Uh, Frankenstein 1970, the Frankens, uh, Bride of Frankenstein, uh, the foes of Frankenstein. Just having a blast with those right now. Uh, got some other big plans in the work for Monster Kid Radio later this year and a few other side hustles. So Fantastic. I'll keep you posted. And again, monsterkidradio.net is where it's all going to be. Right on. And you also, are you still, are you hosting any Joy screenings? So I haven't done anything yet this year. Uh, I am working with Jeff over the Joy. I mentioned King Kung Fu. That's something we're talking about bringing in. Uh, and any chance that I can to crash the Joy party, I mean, I'll take. I love nice. what Jeff does. Jeff does an amazing job over the Joy. He's doing the Lord's work, man. So if you're in the area, Weird Wednesday, check it out. It's free. That's awesome. Doesn't cost and anything. We're not talking about Jeff Dean. We're talking about Jeff Martin. Guy, Jeff Martin. Jeff Martin. Okay. And I will be hosting movies. As we go, uh, nothing's set in stone right now because I don't think he picks his movies that far in advance for me to <laughs> right plan, on, right on. which is fine. Cool, so. man. Uh, and then, you know, uh, obviously go to monsterkidradio.net. Yeah, somebody else has dot com, darn it. That's so lame. Yeah, they had it before I even started. I don't know why. But, oh, weird. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, one thing I just wanted to say real quick because we're talking about King Kong stuff. If you are in the Portland area, the Hollywood Theater is oh, going to be thank showing you. Kong. Long Live the King, which is a documentary. It's the Portland debut of the documentary. Um, and I guess, let's see, director Frank Dietz. Frank Dietz. Uh, are you familiar with Frank Dietz? I feel like I should be. He did um, Beast Wishes, which was the documentary about Bob Burns. Okay. Uh, he's been on my show a couple of times. He's also one of the podcasters behind the podcast, The Damn Dirty Geeks. Okay. Uh, and he is going to be in town. He is an actor director. Uh, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned it because I was going to and I totally forgot. Yeah. Uh, I've seen the documentary. Oh, right on. Cool. It's amazing. Excellent. It's Excellent. won all kinds of awards. Well-deserved. I'm going to be there. It's going to be a Monster Kid Radio crash. If I can get people to show up, I'm going to be there with my recorder. And I'm hoping to meet up with Frank personally and record with him as well. Are you going to go? I am going to go. Excellent. I am going to go. So uh, just for everybody, that is Saturday, February 25th at 7 p.m. at the Hollywood Theater. Please come out and join in the fun. It's going to be a blast. I can't wait. All right, cool, man. Well, thank you again for being on the podcast and for really helping fill a role that I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> talk about this stuff with anybody else because I don't know about it. Now, you were the perfect guest to have on for it, man. So yeah. American Monsters. <laughs> America. All right. I loved it. Thank you for having me. I'm always happy to be on the Kaiju cast. It's always a blast, man. We should close out the episode with a song. Oh, yeah, yeah. The song John Igar Rules by the Dead Elvi. All right. So that's what we are going to close this out with, and we'll see you for the next episode real soon. Jamata. Figure.